Okay. Uh, verse 1. Uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. Verse 8 For I tell you that Christ had that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, <clears throat> Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all the Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of, the, of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, <clears throat> and to be help helped on my journey there by you. <coughs> sorry, sorry. Once I have enjoyed my company, your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some con contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to, to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come to in the fullness and the of in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea 
and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So I'm sure you find out from your discussion earlier that we all uh, we all like uh, people who like us. So our best friends are generally like the same things as us. We like the same kind of food. We like to go uh, watch the same kind of movies. We like the same kind of clothes. We use the same kind of stationery, right? No, I remember for 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 um, for my friends and I, for my good friends and I, just happened that uh, we all like the same girl. Uh. <laughs> no, it wasn't called you know. No, no, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, so we all like uh, people who like us. So Times Magazine uh, had an article uh, a few years ago, last year. It says, it says it just, the title is Dating Narcissism. Why we look for ourselves in a partner. So this article says right that uh, people like themselves. They love themselves. That's why they're likely to go out. That's why we want to go out with people uh, who have like, similar interests, who are just like them. So this might be true in the world, right? That they all people like people people like others who are similar to themselves. But sometimes this kind of attitude like, creeps into the church. It creeps in. So so in the church, sometimes people like uh, people love other people who are just like them, and people and these people don't love uh, all those who are different. Now why is that? Well, because people love themselves. And that's what we saw, and something similar was going on in the church in Rome in that day. But last week we saw that the, the Roman Christians were divided into two groups. So there's the weaker Jewish Christians and there was, there were the stronger Gentile Christians. So they're divided between the weak who wanted to abstain from food, from wine, uh, to honor God, and the strong uh, who wanted to eat all kinds of food to honor God. So this was Pastor Andrew's slide from last week. Yeah. So the Gentile Christians, the strong Christians, they condemned, uh, they despised uh, the Jewish Christians for their lack of faith in God. Where and then the 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 weaker Jewish Christians uh, judged the Gentile Christians for their lack of rever- lack of reverence for God. So you see, both groups of people, Gentiles, Jews, they all don't like each other. But both both groups need to know that they are very similar in many, many ways. So that's what Romans has been teaching us. Romans tell, told us that everyone is a sinner, both Jew and Gentile. They are both sinners. So we all have the same sin problem. And because we all have the same problem, God gave us the same solution. So everyone can be uh, righteous again. Everyone can be made right again just by believe, believing in Jesus. As, and from chapter 12, from Romans, Romans chapter 12 onwards, Paul has been showing them how to live to thank God, how to live uh, in thanksgiving to God. And one of this, one of, and this means that they need to get along. This means that they cannot stumble one another. This means that they cannot be divided about abstaining from food or about observing special days to honor God. You see, these other things, they don't define whether the Roman Christians are really Christians or not. See, the thing that defines whether you are Christian or not is whether you believe in Jesus. So since they're all Christians, and with these other smaller issues, well, don't divide in these areas. 
So what we're doing today is we're going to look at the part two of Paul's uh, arguments. Because chapter 14 was really quite long. If you put both of them together, it'd be super, a really, really long sermon. So we're going to look at the second part today. So the second part of his argument is from chapter 15. So let's look at what Paul says in verse 1 and 2. So Paul here is talking to the strong Christians. Verse 1 and 2. You see what he says? What does he tell the, what does he tell the strong Christians? He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So Paul here tells the strong Christians, now bear with those weak Christians, bear with the failings of the weak. Be patient with them. If they want to eat food a certain way, well, let them be. If they don't, if they don't want to eat pork during Chinese New Year, and to honor God, well, don't force them to eat your bakwa. Right? Don't mock them for their faith. You see, it's really tempting for those who are strong, for those stronger Christians to be impatient about the slow, uh, weaker Christians. How long it takes for these weaker Christians to get it? How long it takes for these weaker Christians to grow? And for example, uh, sometimes I wish that, uh, well, you all think that Rural is really cute, right? But I wish Rural would grow up faster. I wish that uh, he can bathe himself, he can feed himself. I wish I don't have to do that for him. I wish he can sleep by himself. Right? Like, like, I wish he can sleep now. But I can't. You see, I have to be patient. I must be patient with him. Uh, as he grows, I have, to be, I have to wait for him to grow. And in the same way, the stronger Christians and the weaker Christians, uh, the stronger Christians must be patient with the weaker Christians. And Paul tells these strong Christians, the way to one way to one big way to do that is not to please yourself. Don't please yourself, but please the weaker Christians. Now, how to do that? How can the strong Christians please the weaker Christians? Is it by giving in to what the weaker Christians want to do, by doing whatever they want to do? Well, no. That's not what Paul says. Look at what, look at what Paul says in verse 2. How do they please the weaker Christians? The stronger Christians must build them up. The stronger Christians must build them up. Well, build up the weaker Christians. Teach them that they can eat all foods. Teach them that they don't have to religiously observe all days, all, all special festivals. They'll build up the weaker Christians so that they can be strong like you too. And why should these, why should the strong Christians make the effort to build up the weaker Christians? Well, verse 3 says, For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. So why should the strong Christians build up the weaker Christians? Well, Paul says, look at Jesus. Now, Jesus is the ultimate example, right? And he uses the word to describe Jesus. He uses the word Christ. So Christ is a title, is the, as a title describes a king of the entire world. So Christ is like the highest possible position. It's even bigger than, let's say, the president of the United States. Christ is a really, really high position. So everyone has to please Christ because Christ is at such a high position. But what Paul says is even though this, even though Christ, even though Jesus is at this high, high position, he didn't come to please himself. Instead, he came to be insulted, to be insulted for God. You see, if Christ wanted to please himself, why well, he could have just stay in heaven, right? He didn't have to 
come down to earth. He could be saved from persecution, saved from the cross. But Christ didn't do that. He didn't do that. Christ did not please himself. As it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. Or this quote from verse 3 is taken from Psalm chapter 69. Psalm chapter 69 is a prayer. It's a prayer of a righteous person who's uh, suffering, who, uh, who is suffering persecution. So the wicked people are, are persecuting this righteous person because they hate God and they hate him. So this, but, but this prayer is here very, is a very interesting prayer because this prayer says that despite the suffering he faces, he knows, he's confident about this thing, that God will hear his prayer, that God will save him. So in verse 3, Paul, what Paul does is Paul applies Psalm 69 to Jesus. So Paul is saying, Jesus is that righteous person in persecution. So Jesus is, is the one who prays, and God heard Jesus' prayer, and God saved him. But that's not all. Paul also applies Psalm chapter 69 to the strong Christians. Well, how do I know that? Well, I have to read on. Let's look at verse 4. For everything that was written in the past, like Psalm chapter 69, was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Jesus endured suffering to please others in Psalm chapter 69. In the same way, the strong Christians we need to endure, like, endure a small sense of suffering to please the weaker Christians. So in a small way, a very small way compared to Christ, they have to endure the small suffering of bearing with the weak Christians in, in, in their food, in their food, uh, in wanting to keep the food laws, uh, in abstaining from food, in keeping special days. And, but that's not all. The these stronger Christians can have encouragement. The encouragement that these stronger Christians can have is that they have a God who hears their prayers. They have a God who hears their prayers for the weak Christian to be strong. So suffering for these weak Christians is worth it. The, the strong Christians must bear with the weak Christians and build them up. But it's not just the strong Christians who have a, who have a part to play in this. God has a major part to play in this. That's why Paul prays in verse 5, May the God who grants uh, endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that is that Christ had, Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God didn't just give encouragement and endurance. See, God can also will also give the same attitude of mind as Christ. The same attitude of mind as Christ. And what is this attitude? What's the attitude of Christ that we, that we see here? Well, it's the attitude that we just saw in verse 3. That Christ did not come to please himself. That Christ came to please God. And he received insults from other people. This is the kind of, this is the attitude that Christ had. Imagine, imagine if, uh, if, in, if in our church, where it's all about, where everyone is all about not pleasing ourselves, but about pleasing each other. 
Oh, that would be really amazing, right? Because normally, people will argue. Normally, uh, you put two people together, they will argue. So only God can cause people to be united. Only God can cause people to want to please each other so that they can be united with and with one mind and one voice. And they can glorify God in, that, in their unity. That's This is a really, really big thing that only God can do. So that's why Paul prays for them. And that's, so Paul just addressed the stronger Christians. And now, from verse 7 onwards, Paul looks at the, the whole church and he addresses the whole church. He gives the whole church a command. The command is in verse 7. command is, accept one another. Accept one another. See, Paul wants them to accept one another. another. He wants the strong, the strong Christians to accept the weak Christians and the weak Christians to accept strong Christians. But why should they accept one another? Well, again, Paul ties it back to uh, not just—I mean, not just that it'll be—it'll look nice on the outside. He doesn't just uh, talk about how when people look at you, it it looks really, really good from the from from the outsider's point of view. But he looks at the inside. He looks at what Christ has done. So the rest of verse seven says, "Just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God." So I think there are two reasons here that are really intertwined. Why they have to accept one another. So firstly. Christ accepted all Christians, everyone, Jew or Gentile. Christ accepted everyone. So as people who have benefited, as people who have received Christ's acceptance, as people who have been accepted by Christ, accept others, accept others who are different. So as Christ has accepted you, accept other people. That's the first reason. The second reason is that Christ accepted different types of people for the same purpose, for the same goal. And what's that goal? That goal is for them to praise God, for them to glorify God, for both the Jew and the Gentile to glorify God. Well, since, so since they all have that same goal, to glorify God, well, why not do that together? Why not do that together? And Christ did all this, uh, this, this accepting us, uh, and this accepting us to glorify God uh, by coming to earth as a Jew to prove God's to prove that God is trustworthy in keeping all his promises, especially to the especially his promises to Abraham. So that's why verse 8 says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs like Abraham might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So I'm not sure whether you remember uh, when we when we looked at Genesis uh, chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 12, one of the one of the big promises that that God gave was was this. So this is the promise that God gave to Abraham, that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through. You. So this means that it's not just the Jews, not just his direct descendants, but the whole earth, including the Gentiles. So way back there, God had promised to bless the Jews, or bless the whole earth, bless everyone, through Abraham. And how is God doing that? God is doing that now through Abraham's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus. And Paul, 
goes on to give uh, four quotes uh, from the Old Testament. So all these quotes show how Christ will include the Gentiles in to bring pra- uh, to praise God together with the Jews. So all these quotes are are really really important. But I want to focus on the last one in verse twelve. Let's think about the last quote. So the last quote answers the question: How will the Gentiles praise God with the Jews? So how will the Gentiles praise God with the Jews? Well, verse twelve says that this root of Jesse uh, will rule over the nations. So someone will rule over the Gentiles to give them hope. Who is that? That person is Jesus. That person is Christ. So as Christ has done all these things to accept you, well, accept other people. As Christ has accepted different different kinds of people to glorify God, accept one another as um, fellow God-glorifiers. Except one another as fellow God glorifiers, as people, as fellow citizens of God's kingdom. It's really, but Paul knows it's really, really hard to please other people and to accept other people in church, especially if they are different from us. I found, I found, I found this out for myself. See, my my role as in my in my role as a gospel worker, as an intern at BTPC, one of my main jobs is to teach the Bible and to pray. But as I was preparing uh, this uh, very talk, uh, someone asked me to organize a new ministry. Well, this ministry uh, had uh, very little to do with teaching and praying. Uh, and plus, when the person asked me, I was quite uh, frustrated because I, I had a sermon to prepare, prepare and I was uh, quite stressed about it. So I was very frustrated that I had to do one more uh, new thing. But as I was thinking about, as I was having all these frustrations in my head, I, I looked at this passage. I looked at Romans chapter 15, the, the very passage that I was preparing. Bear with one another. Please, one, please others for their good. Build them up. Accept one another. Then I realized that God has this message here for me first. I have to apply this message to myself. It's very difficult, but God wants all of, wants me to learn this first so that all of us can apply this to us, to our lives. So I just share with you some, uh, some how this applies to me. But it might be different for you. We might find it, we we all find it very difficult to accept people from different uh, church backgrounds. So maybe some people, uh, maybe some some other people who join us are really used to singing lots of songs or to having long long prayers or to dancing. So I I, I watched a video of how this uh, this Bible college student was going went to this went to an African church. To preach, and he said something about he said something that really really excited the people about God's glory. And in the middle of his preaching, right, the whole church started getting up and dancing and singing praise to God. I well, imagine all of you started doing that right now, right? It'd be really really different. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, it's really different for us, right? Or maybe uh, some people dress differently. Yeah, they might wear I mean berms and slippers like minkit. Okay, or they might wear something formal like Pastor Andrew. Right? Yeah, he's informal. Yeah, so we sometimes we get offended by the way people dress. But in the gospel, see, all these things don't decide whether they are Christians or not. These things don't decide whether the way you dress, uh, the kind of church that you're used to, these things don't decide whether you're Christians or not. What decides whether you're Christian or not is whether you believe in Jesus. So when people with different church backgrounds come in, what do we do? 
Well, accept them. Accept them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Build them up in Christ so that they can be strong Christians too. Or maybe this another way to do this is to meet them outside this service. I meet them before service for for truffle fries and ice cream. Or meet them after service for dinner and study the Bible. Or if they live, if they work near you, live and work near you, maybe you can meet them for lunch uh, or meet them for meals outside. So accept one another. Build them up. So we just saw how the gospel changes the way stronger Christians and weaker Christians see each other. That we all need to, that we need to accept one another. That both Christians need to accept one another. So to convince the Romans that this is really, really, really important, Paul, Paul gives uh, the Roman Christians two more two more examples, two life examples of Christians building and accepting other Christians. So first there's Paul's example and then there's the Gentiles' examples. So firstly, Paul gives his example. So verse 15 to 16 says, Yet I've written quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God gave, God gave Paul, the Jew, a mission. So what's his mission? His mission is to be a minister of Christ. To tell the Gentiles the gospel so that the, so that the Gentiles can also be saved. Okay, so this sounds simple enough, right? But why do you notice something about verse 16? So do you notice that there's a lot of temple language in verse 16? Like priestly duty, offering acceptable to God, sanctified. Why does Paul use this kind of temple language? Why, why talk about these things? I think before, before Jesus, uh, before Jesus came, the way that people worship God uh, was through the, was at the temple. So at the temple, uh, they brought their sacrifices to God. So the priest at the temple had a really, really important job. The priest had to offer God uh, the people's sacrifices. He had to offer it in a certain way so that be, the, these sacrifices would be holy and pleasing to God. So Paul, so this, this priestly role is really, really important. So Paul sees that his, his role, the job that, that God has given him, as, is as important as, in the, as the priest in the Old Testament. So in New Testament, Paul's job is to tell the Jews, uh, tell the Gentiles the gospel. So that the Gentiles can be that sacrifice that please that pleases God. But just, just like this, uh, the Romans are sacrifices to God, right? Uh, in Romans chapter 12. So if you flip uh, the Bible, maybe a few pages to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Do you remember what it's what it says? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read it for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to do what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the Romans, once they believe in Jesus, they are living sacrifices. So Paul is actually, Paul actually wants to make living sacrifices of the Gentiles. He wants the Gentiles to also believe in Jesus. So what Paul is what Paul is telling the Romans here is that he's saying, "Look at me, look at my example. How I 
a Jewish Christian goes to look for the Gentiles to tell them about Jesus. And Paul even tells his ambition, his extent of how he goes to do this. So verse 20 says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be dwelling, uh, I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So you see, Paul the Jew, his his desire to build up the Gentiles is is is, is, is at this crazy extreme. See, he wants to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, where there are no Christians, but and then start a church there. I mean, it's it's like asking one of us to go to a tribal area in Africa and start a church there when there's where there are no Christians. But this sounds like the hardest job, isn't it? But the rest, the rest of us will be really, really scared. But Paul wants to do this. Paul the Jew wants to do this so that the Gentile Christians can be built up, so that the rest of the world can see and understand who Jesus is. Yeah, but let's uh, think a little bit more about Paul's ambition. Now, what's your ambition? Now, some people have an ambition to retire before 40. Or some people have an ambition, some of my friends have an ambition to travel the world before I mean, a certain age. Because, you know, uh, you only live once. YOLO. You know that? Okay, so I'm still quite trendy. Okay, very good. Yeah, so, but this is, this is what people think. This is what the world thinks. This is what their ambition is. But Paul's ambition is really, really different. Paul wants to preach the gospel where there are no Christians. Now, you and I might not have the exact same ambition as Paul. But what is your ambition? What is the thing that makes you get out of bed every morning? Is it, maybe is it your work on earth? Or is it earning money uh, for your next holiday? This author, his name is John Piper. John Piper wrote many, many books. One of his his more famous books is called Don't Waste Your Life. If you want a free PDF copy, let me know. I can send you the link. It's on his website, so it's it's not uh, illegal. So he has this story in this book uh, about a couple who retired. So after a couple retired, they spent uh, their time relaxing on their cruise, playing softball and collecting seashells. So it sounds like super shock, right? Quite relaxing. But this is what John Piper says. Tragically, this was a dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life. And let that last great work of your life, before you give an account to your creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at that great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Friends, don't waste your life. The gospel is also, has to be our priority today. The gospel has to be our priority. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to verse 20. So here, Jesus is speaking before 
he goes up into heaven. So this is what he tells his disciples. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, here Jesus is commanding his disciples and commanding all of us to go and make disciples. The gospel must be our priority too. We also, we also must be concerned about going to make disciples. So this is not, uh, this is not the job of Pastor Andrew or my job. We all are involved in this. We all are. So maybe you can start by, in a small way, by inviting your friends for, uh, for Christmas outreach next month. The next month will be a really, really great time for them to know about who Jesus is. Or maybe you can tell your friends about who Jesus is during this Christmas period. I'm sure all of you will, will be uh, going for Christmas celebrations with your friends. So maybe you know, take five minutes to, to tell them what Christmas really is about. Recently, I watched a video. Uh, it's called Dispatches from the Front. So this so one part of the video was about this Ang Mo who goes around China uh, telling people about Jesus. Like Ang Mo, right? Going around China, speaking Chinese better than me and telling people about Jesus. So he'll be telling random people, he'll tell people sitting beside him on the plane or in a taxi and he'll be just telling them about Jesus. And this is what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, Sometimes all you need to obey God is to open your mouth. Sometimes all you need to do to obey God is to open your mouth. So that was Paul's example of a Gentile, of a Jewish Christian going to build up Gentile Christians. So I think if the, if the Jewish Christians, the Jewish Christians in Rome, when they read the book of Romans and they read up to this part, I think it's, it's very encouraging for them to do the same thing, to want to build up, to accept the Gentile Christians, just as Paul did. But this building up and this accepting cannot be just for the Jewish Christians. The Gentile Christians must do this also. So I think that's why Paul gives the second life, real life example about Gentile Christians accepting Jewish Christians. Yeah, so verse, verse 21 to verse 24, Paul talks, tells the Romans about why, about, about his desire to want to share the gospel in Spain. So this is a really, really important ministry, right? to share the gospel where there's no Christians. That's Spain. So Paul wants to do that soon so that the Christians in Spain can hear the gospel. But Paul has something to do that is just as important. Just as important as telling someone about Jesus. And what is that? Well, let's read on in verse 25. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in service to in service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So Paul, Paul has to bring money to Christians in Jerusalem. So these are Jewish Christians. Okay, so where is, and where is this money from? Well, verse 26 tells us that the money is from places like Macedonia and Achaia. So if you're familiar with the Bible, 
Macedonia. Uh, one of the places in Macedonia is the, uh, Philippi. That's where we get the letter. Of the, that's where we get uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And what about Achaia? Achaia, uh, another, Paul wrote a, a letter to a people, to one group of people in Achaia. That is, to the uh, Corinthians. Oh, there's two letters. Yeah, two letters to the people of Corinthians. Macedonia and Achaia are places that are outside Jerusalem. But these are Gentile areas. These are non, these people here are non-Jews. So it means the money from Macedonia and Achaia, this is Gentile money. So do you see who is giving who money here? So in this case, the Gentile Christians are giving the Jewish Christians money. So these are two different groups from two very different backgrounds, different race, different habits, different culture. But why are the Gentile Christians so generous? Why are they so generous to these Jewish Christians? Now look at verse 27. Well, they, are ple- they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them uh, their, spirit- their material blessings. So what Paul is saying here that the Gentiles benefited from the Jews' spiritual blessing. The Gentiles benefited from God's promise to Abraham many, many years ago, the father of the Jews. The Gentiles benefited when they heard the gospel and they believed in Jesus. So that's why the Gentile Christians want to send money to support, to financially support poor Christians all the way in Jerusalem. The Gentiles giving money to this to the Jewish Christians is a sign that they have received the gospel and they are willing to share with their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a clear example of what Paul has been talking about, about the Gentile Christians building up and accepting their Jewish brothers and sisters. One group of Christians accepting another group of Christians. So when the when the Roman when the people of Rome, when the Roman Christians are reading the book of Rome, uh, reading the reading this letter of Romans, they they are reminded, like, oh, this is an example of a Gentile Christian building up their weaker Jewish Christians. So that means I must do it too. So let's put Paul's example and the Gentiles' example together. So Paul's example is of a Jewish Christian building up Gentile Christians. And the, the example of the Gentile Christians in Achaia and Macedonia shows Gentile Christians building up Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So what Paul is saying is that building up and accepting uh, other Christians is what people, are, what Christians are doing everywhere. So as Christians are doing this everywhere, the Roman Christians must do this too. They cannot say they cannot uh, reject Christians from another background. They cannot say you are Gentile, you are Jew, you are different from me. So let's not have fellowship. You can't say that. So I know that we don't like uh, to compare compare ourselves with other people. Like for, we don't like how our Singaporean parents compare us with their their friends' kids, right? Yeah, how about their like their PSLE score, about how many enrichment classes they go to, about how many children they have, and all that. Oh, we, but we don't like that kind of comparison. But even but. Even as we look at other people, sometimes there are things that we can learn from other people. For example, I can learn perseverance when I read about Christians persevering, even though 
their lives are at stake. Even though, uh, for example, the, I read about Christians in Syria and Pakistan. I see how they persevere. I, it teaches me to persevere in my faith. Or I can learn to love from, to love others when I see Christians asking one another in love how they are doing and praying for one another. We can learn many things from each other. So that's why Paul, that's what Paul is doing with the Romans here. Paul is showing examples of the, of Paul, of himself, and of the, of the Gentile Christians outside, of how they are accepting and, and, and loving and building up one another. So as they are doing it, Paul is saying to Roman Christians, well, you do it too. Well, let's think about this for ourselves. Now, who are the people that we need to, that we really need to build up and accept? Oh, it has to be those people that we find we find it hardest to accept, find it hardest to build up. This means that I'm not talking about people who are similar to us or like our friends as the icebreaker question. We have to find, we have to accept people who are different from us, from different backgrounds. Now, some people think that Singaporeans are xenophobic, that we don't like foreigners. So some people, eh, they write on Facebook uh, that foreigners take take uh, our jobs, take our university places, even cause our MRTs to be really, really packed. But if a foreigner comes, but this cannot be the attitude for Christians. See, if, if a foreigner comes to our church, we cannot turn them away. We cannot reject them. And if they are Christian, we must want to teach them the Bible. We must want to build them up. We must want to please them. We have to accept them as our brother and sister in Christ. We cannot treat them as like a second class second class Christian, second class citizen. Accept these Christians and build them up. Well I think we, we have done this uh, quite well in the past in the past year. So in the past year we have had some people from different backgrounds joining us. So unless there was uh, Erica's mom from Taiwan, uh, there was also uh, your friend from India, Sri Lanka. Yeah yeah. So yeah we have, we have done we have done we have done well in accepting them. But friends, there will come a time when it will be hard to do it. There will come a time when we don't want to do it. At those times, I, ho- I hope that we remember what Rome- Romans 15 tells us and that we will accept them. We will want to build them up. Before I end, let me share with you uh, one example that I read recently. This example of a missionary I read about. Her name is called uh, Amy Carmichael. So Amy Carmichael is a famous uh, missionary uh, from Ireland. So she's also, she's very very famous also for going to India, and, and doing mission work among the uh, among the temple prostitutes in India, among sorry among the child temple prostitutes in India. During her time uh, before she went to India, when she was still in Ireland, she, uh, her church had a problem. You see, the rich people didn't want to mix with the poor people. So this is the attitude in the church, not just in the society out there. It's in the church. The rich Christians didn't want to care for the poor Christians. But Amy, Amy Carmichael accepted them. Amy, Amy Carmichael accepted these poorer Christians. And she, she wanted to, and she built them up by starting a Bible study group for the poor, for the poorer girls, the working class girls, and she taught them the Bible. Okay, this, Accepting this building up uh, came at a cost. See, she had to 
moved to where the poor were. See, in those days, they didn't have uh, excellent transportation systems. She had to move to where they were so that she could be close to them and teach them the Bible. This means, this meant that she had to move into an apartment full of cockroaches and bedbugs. Okay, so I think the girls might be freaking out right now, right? Cockroaches and bedbugs all over the apartment. And she had to do this, uh, even, even with, uh, even, even though she was suffering from a nerve disorder that would cause her to lie in bed for weeks in pain before she could get up and meet, uh, meet Christians again, meet the poor again. So she had lived in this very, very poor conditions. She had to suffer. She had to, she had to do all this even with her, with her sickness just to accept, just to build up poor Christians because poor Christians need to be built up too. And this, and this is an interesting thing I found out about her. She did all, all these things before she turned 21. So before she reached Elaine's age, she was already starting Bible studies for the poor. That's, that's quite amazing, isn't it? I mean, if she can, if she can build up Christians, if she can accept Christians, if she can reach out to Christians who are so, so different from her, and she, if she could do that with this serious sickness, if she could do that, even as a young girl, with God's strength, I think we can do that too. See, as at church, we're all saved by the same gospel. So bear with one another. Do good to them. Do good to one another. To build each other up. Accept one another. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us uh, that we have, when we accept one another, we're not doing this out of our own initiative. We're doing this because Christ accepted us first. So Heavenly Father, please work in us to, to want to build up, to want to accept, to want to bear with other Christians for their good and for your glory. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.